Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got even better news. It's all good martinis today. And not only is it good martinis, we're actually saying good things about a couple of Democrats. Um, and one of them's the president, which really doesn't happen very much. So when it happens, we should uh, point it out. Doesn't mean we're going to go any lighter on all the things he's screwing up. But today, uh, he did something that we agree with. So let's move to uh, good martini number one. And Jim, in addition to uh, the big win for Glenn Youngkin and the Republican ticket in Virginia, uh, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago today, in fact, uh, and the better than expected showing for Republicans in New Jersey and elsewhere around the country, we got a new mayor-elect in New York City. It's Eric Adams, a former policeman himself. Of the viable Democratic candidates in the primary, he clearly came across as the most sane. And so, basically, he's as good as you're going to get right now in New York City. And one of the things he ran on, very much so in the primary and the general election, is we're going to restore law and order to New York City. Bill de Blasio basically uh, gave away the city and the crime rates went up uh, when the protests over George Floyd and everything else happened in the summer of 2020. Uh, De Blasio rolled over. Eric Adams says that's going to stop. And one of the things he wants to bring back is what are considered anti-crime units, meaning plain closed police. And so the people who don't like that, some folks in the Black Lives Matter movement. Here's one of their leaders, Hawk Newsom, explaining what will happen if Adams makes good on that promise. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. So there's no way that we're going to let some Gestapo come in here and harm our people. Right? We pray for peace, but black opportunities prepares for the worst. Eric Adams is apparently not intimidated by that kind of language at all. In fact, here's what he said uh, at a press conference. This city is not going to be a city of riots. It's not going to be a city of burning. This is going to be a city where we're going to be safe. We're going to have the backs of our police officers, but we're going to hold them accountable to do their jobs. And so the, uh, if fringe elements want to hurl uh, rhetoric like that, that's silly to New Yorkers. And beyond that, he says Black Lives Matter actually had a seat at the table when they were discussing all this, and nobody seemed to have much of a contentious uh, problem with any of this, so he thinks this might be a lot of uh, acting. So what happened uh, at the meeting, and what's very interesting, the meeting is on Instagram, Facebook Live. It was not a contentious meeting. There was no arguing and debating. Uh, I was very clear that my city is going to be safe. After leaving the meeting, uh, they went out and created uh, just this belief uh, that there was some battle that took place behind closed doors. I really encourage people to look at the Facebook Live and the Instagram video to show I'm just clear. We must be safe in our city and in our country. And I ran on that, and I'm not going to break my promise. Oh, Jim, how good does that fresh air feel after eight years of Bill de Blasio? Tough on crime, easy on groundhogs. <laughs> That's what I expect from the mayor of New York for the next four years. Look, I, I think it's entirely likely that at some point, actually probably at many points over the next four years, you and I are going to hear about policy announcements from Eric Adams and not like them. Um, yes, he says he wants to be on tough on crime. He's a former police officer and he says he wants to make the city more welcoming of businesses. We will see what shakes out of that. But 
as if you're on the right side of the political spectrum, Eric Adams was probably the best option you had out there. And uh, you're starting to see folks like the Republicans in New York State Senate saying, hey, you know what? This is about as good as we're going to expect. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Robert Ort um, sent him a letter and said he hoped to work with him at a time when the you know troubling violent crime rates all across our state. Uh, and they kind of sent him a nice little note saying, good job on standing up to these uh, threats of riots and fire and, and things like that. So, look, early, you know, there's still a lot of time for things to go wrong. But you, you, there are other politicians who would have knuckled under upon hearing threatening language like that, who would have been quick. Oh, no, no, please, please don't burn down my city. You know, uh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, no. And that was not the tone from uh, from Adams, as you saw there. So. Um, good start. Hopefully he sticks to his guns, metaphorically, and we see lower crime rates in New York City in the future. Uh, maybe a little while before we get there, but it's been done before. And there's, you know, the right mayor and the right policies can make it happen again. Absolutely. Ted Wheeler, I don't know if you're too far gone, man, but this is how it's done. <laughs> Jacob Fry in Minneapolis, uh, Seattle. Man, this is how it uh, it can be done, and hopefully he follows through on it. It, it could be difficult, but uh, this is what the people wanted, understandably so, and hopefully it's what they get. So, fantastic. Good start there, Eric Adams. Like Jim said, there might be a lot of other issues, uh, particularly cultural issues we don't agree on, but uh, one of the biggest responsibilities for any mayor is to keep the people safe as much as possible um, while respecting their freedoms, and uh, he seems to be off to a good start in that area. So, all right, let's talk about uh, something that will also make you feel good, besides common sense, in the mayor's office in New York City, and that is taking care of that stress, those sore muscles, that tension. Theragun is the way to do it. Do not let the stress of your daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who is definitely not an elite athlete, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can definitely help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it is as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, or you're trying to recover from an injury, or you're just trying to deal with the stress of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their website and check it out. And the Theragun app will learn from your behaviors and suggest guided routines. And right now, Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of satisfied customers, and even me. So try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash martini, therabody.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about Joe Biden being in a good martini because <laughs> chances are it's going to be a while before he's there again. And uh, the issue, of course, is the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics, uh, February 2022. And there's been a growing call for the U.S. to boycott these Olympics due to China's ongoing human rights violations. Of course, there's the, 
the genocide and the concentration camps, the forced labor involving uh, the Uyghur Muslim population, but uh, any religious minority, Tibet, uh, the Christian population, uh, heavy hand of government uh, coming on the people there for sure. Uh, and now the Biden administration has said, uh, and thanks also to bipartisan pressure on this, that there will be a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics, which means that the U.S. will not be sending any sort of official delegation to the Games, but our athletes will still go and still get to compete. So we snubbed them without punishing the athletes. Now, in the end, probably not going to change anything China's actually doing, but um, compared to what Jimmy Carter did in 1980, Jim, I think this is probably the smart way to go because you do send a message without telling people who've been training their entire life, yeah, because we're sending a political statement here, you don't get to play. Greg, that's the way I see it, that no, this is not going to suddenly make China respect the Uyghurs and open up the camps and, and let people go. But the fact that the Olympics are part B, are going to take place in a country that is ongoing a process that is at minimum comparable to genocide, if not outright, you know, clearly earning the label genocide, is an embarrassment to the World Committee. The, Inter the International Olympic Committee should have made uh, a different decision. They should have reacted to this. They've been corrupt for lots of years, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. But we in the United States had to do something about it. Now, as, as you said, you don't want to take somebody who's been training their whole lives. And, you know, because of athletes' bodies and, and how quickly they age and how quickly you can lose that little bit of an edge that's good enough to get yourself to the Olympic team, when you make a decision like Jimmy Carter did in 1980 and say, we're not partaking of those Olympics, well, all of a sudden you're giving you're taking away somebody's dream. You're taking away somebody's chance to perform on the world stage. So I think a full U.S. athlete boycott would not be the right move. I do think this is appropriate. And for people to say, you know, oh, well, it's, you know, it's the bare minimum. Well, okay, but I think China will notice this. Uh, you know, Biden and Xi Jinping had a, apparently like a three and a half hour Zoom call last night. Um, did not have any, you know, major breakthroughs or anything like that, but I cannot help but suspect that this was the kind of decision was either in the works or was likely to go forward if they didn't see something that happened during that call that uh, made the Biden administration feel like that was the uh, things were getting somewhere. So I think this is a uh, diplomatically significant shot across the bow. It's not going to escalate to war. It's not going to spur China to take over Taiwan or something like that. But it does register our displeasure and I think sends a signal to the rest of the world, including to our allies, you can't treat China's government as if it's just another government. They're not just like everybody. Else. They're not another regime that, you know, has a bad human rights record. It's an appalling human rights record, but it's akin to genocide. No, oh, by the way, they, you know, in, in, at minimum, they dithered and lied as the COVID-19 pandemic was spreading out of control. At minimum, you know, a whole bunch of evidence stacking up suggests that they probably as a result of recklessness or more poor uh, decision making and practices at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So there's a whole bunch of reasons for the U.S. to stop cooperating with China and stop acting like it's business as usual. This was a nice step in that direction, something I do not say very often. Good job, Biden administration. Don't get used to it <laughs> or, or or change your decision making and maybe you will get used to it I'm, I'm, because you care so much about what I think. <laughs> That's right. Now, I mean, in retrospect, it would have been nice if, uh, you know, the Trump administration and the Biden administration had pushed hard for the IOC to change the site of the Winter Olympics. But once those things are locked in and the planning's underway, it, it, I've never seen it actually happen. So uh, it would be pretty unlikely that it would have done any good. 
So yeah, I mean this is uh, this is uh, about as effective as you can be with the amount of time we have left before the Olympics, and um, hopefully we don't have to compete against too many athletes from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I don't know if they have any good skiing teams or anything there, but uh, <laughs> uh, stay away from them. Uh, just Honestly, six Greg, feet they're kind of clumsy. They're really not great. They're always knocking over vials and dropping things, and you know, cracking glass. It's it's really a, a bunch of slipshod organization over there. So not expecting serious intense competition not a lot of coordination yeah so uh maybe not uh maybe not on the uh, downhill ski team all right well let's talk about something uh that's also important and that's the fact that we're dealing with some inflation now you might have noticed we've talked about it a lot on the podcast and uh by all accounts it's not going to go anywhere for a while and so you might want to diversify your investment portfolio and that's where gold and silver can come in might uh, help you uh, retain some value as the dollar gets weaker and weaker, at least for the time being. And uh, gold and silver coins can do that. And look, the price of silver has increased 340% since 2000, and it just continues trending higher. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, which is the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for just $30. Postage is free and you'll be dealing with the experts. And the expert at the top of the of the chain there at UCB is Dr. Mike Fulgens. He really is America's gold expert. The anti-counterfeiting government people come to him for advice instead of the other way around. So that should give you some peace of mind. He knows the genuine article, uh, and he's going to give you a straight deal. He's also the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year from the American Numismatic Association. Uh, UCB also has rare gold coins, but this special silver deal is only available using our code Martini. So call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, Jim, let's talk about our third good martini now. Got a twinge of crazy to it, of course, but uh, it's now the infighting really between the staffs, I'm thinking, maybe between the principals also, but uh, between the Biden folks and the Harris folks. The Harris folks feel like she's getting the raw end of the deal here. First of all, he keeps giving her lousy assignments, like trying to find root causes of the of the border crisis, because, you know, it's just a, a minor little deal that uh, we don't need solving or anything, and she refuses to go to the border. But she feels like she's not uh, getting the assignments she would prefer. And she also feels like she's not getting defended by the Biden communications team as much as some other people, like uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who, when uh, the story finally came out that he hadn't been working for a number of weeks and nobody noticed, um, and then some people made cracks about the paternity leave, the Biden administration communications team came flying to his defense, but all the attacks against Kamala have gone largely unanswered or, or answered very meekly. So her team is, is upset with the way she's being treated. All of this is kind of setting the stage, at least in the minds of some people, of a Kamala versus Buttigieg primary in 2024, which, of course, assumes Biden does not run for re-election. Jim, I'm already groaning internally at the thought of those two being the uh, the most likely uh, people at the head of the ticket in 2024. But what do you make of the knives coming out publicly to the point where Jen Psaki sends out a tweet at nine o'clock on a Sunday night talking about, oh, no, they get along great. Well, first, Greg, if listeners, you know, 
respond to stories like this and say Biden is old and she's stupid and I hate both. Fine. I, I get that. But I, I do think there's a lot of fascinating, you know, Kremlinology going on about the various factions within this administration and how much they don't like each other. They don't trust each other. And they're having real friction as they try to work together. Uh, I wrote about this a lot in yesterday's morning. Joel, first thing is like, again, if, if you're really into this, read the CNN story, which apparently quoted and, and talked to like 30 or 40 Democratic officials, both inside and outside the administration. The first dynamic that I think is really worth keeping in mind here is that uh, back in 2008, when Barack Obama selected Joe Biden to be his running mate, what, you know, the two in addition to the two uh, principles, shall we say, that the staffs get together. And one of the things, one of the conditions of Biden joining the ticket and becoming vice president was that Barack Obama said, you get to take a handful of your longtime staff, but I'll, for the rest of your staff in the vice president's office, I want you to pick my people. Now, I'll give you a long list. I'll give you a lot of options of my people, but I want the people around you to be people who worked for me first. It's a way of kind of ensuring the vice president doesn't have this separate power base and kind of this separate team within a team that might be pursuing their own uh, agenda. So when you look at Kamala Harris and the staff around her, very few of them have been with her for a long time. Very few of them came over from the Senate office. Very few of them came over from the presidential campaign. Very few of them go back a whole bunch of years. Chief of Staff Hartina Flournoy uh, was working for Bill Clinton up until December 2020. Deputy Chief of Staff was over at the Center for American Progress. Harris's chief spokesperson was Simone Sanders, uh, who used to work for Bernie Sanders, then joined the Biden team in, the, in 2019. Communications Director was uh, Ashley Etienne, was Nancy Pelosi's Communications Director. And the National Security Advisor, Nancy McEldowney, uh, Career Foreign Service, ironically, DCM back when I was over in Turkey back in 2005, 2007. I, I think I met her once or twice at a party or something like that. So these are not people who've been around Kamala Harris for a really long time. So she's stepping into the vice presidency and she doesn't have people around her who are her longtime people. Now, the next question is, what happened to all the people who were around Kamala Harris in the presidential campaign and in the Senate office and in the past? Well, they didn't get hired for administration jobs. So if you're a reporter for CNN or for uh, Politico or Axios or one of these other places, and you call up these former Kamala Harris staffers, and you say, how do you think they're doing over there? How do you think how do you think the administration is using her? You're going to get a lot of answers that are she's surrounded by idiots. They never should have hired those people. They should have hired me. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the <laughs> subtext of a lot of these. So the administration is going to have people who are eager to talk to reporters and say they're not handling Kamala Harris the right way. She's being misused. They don't know what they're doing over there. These stories are going to continue for the entirety of, of this presidency in all likelihood. Um, the second thing to keep in mind is that there's always a little bit of tension, but usually this kind of tension, uh, first of all, you have like a Bush-Cheney situation where the vice president doesn't want to run for uh, president, then you avoid this. But if you have a, a Clinton and Gore um, type situation or anything where the vice president wants to run for office, uh, Reagan and Bush towards the tail end of the Reagan administration. You know, the, the vice president is trying to shape their independent image separate from the administration and their own goals. And of course, the president always wants to make himself look good. So there's always a little bit of attention. Biden being old and everybody kind of expecting that he will not run for re-election in 2024. And Harris's own weakness exacerbates this. I mean, I'm sure the Biden administration is saying, do we not have enough problems? Do we really need the Kamala Harris people complaining to CNN about how she's not being used properly? Um, the other fun question, I could, you know, go at this a great length, but kind of the third thing is, you know, I assume listeners to this podcast don't agree with Kamala Harris on much of anything, but just, just put that aside for a second. I'll just ask you, what is she good at? 
<laughs> Charlie Cook asked this about uh, Biden. It was kind of a fun question. If anything, you'd, you'd, it's not foreign policy. She was only on in the Senate for two years before she started running for president. She doesn't have a lot of, you know, longtime friendships and connections on Capitol Hill. Um, she's, I mean, if anything, maybe it's probably, you know, criminal justice, law, uh, maybe the courts and stuff like that from her long history as a prosecutor. Well, well, they already got Merrick Garland as attorney general. And he's got a lot of prosecutorial experience. So it's, it's not like she brings anything to the table that the administration really needs at this moment. So she's really just a, just a, you know, this is a poor fit from the beginning, but now you're really starting to see the friction. And I think uh, you see her, her approval rating down at one poll head down to 29% or something like that. You know, she's in trouble because she does not have her own independent base of support in the party. Everybody knows she flamed out as a presidential candidate, and yet she's the heir apparent, and she may well be running as soon as 2024. Um, and the idea of, you know, like, like the only thing more absurd of than, you know, the Democrats roaring to victory in 2024 on the backs of Kamala Harris, Greg, the only thing more absurd is them roaring to victory in 2024 on the back of Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Amidst a, a you know giant supply chain crisis, the one time in a generation you actually need the Secretary of Transportation to be at work. Yeah, he has not uh, performed at any level that should impress anyone. But of course, Jim, racism is being injected into this. In the CNN story, quote, this is from a Harris staffer, former staffer, it's hard to miss the specific energy that the White House brings to defend a white man, Buttigieg, knowing that Kamala Harris has spent almost a year taking a lot of the hits that the West Wing didn't want to take themselves. So, you know, it's Everything that goes around comes around. You know, she started the campaign by calling Biden a racist, and now we're back to that, or at least members of his staff. So uh, I guess some things never change in Washington. You know, I wonder by any chance, is that Harris staffer not selected for an administration job? <laughs> that wouldn't be a factor. No, no. Well, by former Harris aide, you can probably uh, assume that. But uh, anyway, so real quickly, that's a good martini. How is this good for conservatives? Does it somehow derail terrible things from actually getting accomplished? Uh, does it mean that we're going to have an ugly 2024 uh, campaign three years ahead of schedule? What, is this, what does this mean for us? How is this good for the, us? The more time and energy that any given Biden administration staffer spends worrying about this and where they are in the pecking order and who's up and who's down and who's leaking and all that kind of stuff, the less time they're actually spending on getting stuff done. So if, if, if this is a fire, we just want to throw as much gasoline on this as humanly possible. <laughs> I'm always a fan of terrible things not happening. So I will drink to that. Three good martinis today, Jim. It'd be nice if we could repeat that tomorrow, but we'll see how things look in the morning. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Would love it if you told some friends about us as well and get them to subscribe. Uh, thank you also for your uh, kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Those are of a huge help to us. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Tuesday, and please join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Columnist Byron York joins me to discuss Biden's intentional border crisis, the unraveling of the Russia hoax thanks to the Durham investigation, and repulsive tactics of the Lincoln Project. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also discuss John Kerry dismissing China's forced labor and genocide in pursuit of his climate deal and how we can team up to save our nation. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.